Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am D. Graves. I am here with my co-host, Jason Colvin, and it is no longer a podcast. It is a quest. It is a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun. Jason's going to have fun. You all are going to have so much freaking fun that you're going to need plastic surgery to remove the smiles off your freaking faces. <laughs> We're going to be whistling zippity doo out of our assholes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We are here to discuss two iconic movies from the 80s, National Lampoon's Vacation and The Great Outdoors. These are both John Hughes movies, but neither one of them is directed by John Hughes. We have been doing an 80s podcast for four years. Once we're done with our episode, this will be the fourth movie by John Hughes that we have covered, and we have not yet covered one that he has directed. That is insane. That is insane. We haven't done Breakfast Club. We haven't done Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We haven't done... 16 Candles. We haven't done... Curly Sue. <laughs> Did you just say Curly Sue? Oh my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you a story about a geek in high school who married the high school cheerleader and his name is John Hughes. Oh, great. I'm at your feet. Let's uh, let's go. I will go into his history in just a bit. First, let me say this. This is just a side story, right? The Great Outdoors is directed by Howard Deutsch, right? And he's kind of one of John Hughes' go-to guys when John Hughes can't direct the movies. He and is the go-to guy when John Hughes can't direct it. Exactly. The way he puts it is, I am Salieri to the John Hughes Amadeus. <laughs> That's good. And so he's telling this story about when they're in the midst of shooting some kind of wonderful and they realize that they need rewrite on a scene that they've got for the next day two-page rewrite and he ends up falling asleep on john hughes couch he wakes up and john hughes hands him 50 pages of stuff and he's like this was a two-page rewrite what is this and he's like well yeah i didn't do that i did this instead hands him this these 50 pages and it's the first 50 pages to ferris bueller's day it's off. incredible the guy was as kevin smith puts it the Shakespeare of the 80s. Like he could That's good. sit down at a typewriter and put forth genius in no time. Like there were no hard, long, laborious writing sessions with him. He would put himself in a room for the weekend and at the end of the weekend, he would come out with a movie. Yeah, just go in, knock it out. Oh, by the way, here's weird science. I yeah. did this in three days yeah. or two days. Yeah. Now guys, I'm going to digress significantly at this point. I just got to, I got to talk about this for a second. Okay. So this past week I saw the movie, the flash, and I was very excited. I even remember watching the movie and thinking to myself, these guys have got it. Jason has said, when we talked about top gun Maverick, we said he figured out the formula, right? You throw back to certain spots and then you give us something new and I'm watching the flash and I'm thinking to myself, they've got the formula, right? They threw back to the right things. And I'm not going to spoil it unless you haven't seen the preview. If you haven't seen the preview, skip the next 15 seconds. But Batman 89 is a big part of this movie, and I felt like they absolutely nailed a new movie by throwing back to an old movie. Jason gives it a C+. <laughs> so I ask you all, just once you've seen the movie, send us an email, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook, and tell us which one of us is right. I'm giving this movie a solid A. Jason gives it a C+. I will say this. You know how much I hate CGI. The CGI is a distraction, but I just knew that going in, and I put it aside, and I said, I'm not going to worry about the CGI and the bad CGI that DC always does. I'm just going to enjoy the story. And I felt like it was a great story. Yeah. 
You did. <laughs> <laughs> you, not so much. I, well, I liked it. I do think there was some missed opportunity there. I think it could have been better. I do think it was the Barry Allen character was annoying. And then you had him on screen two times for the entire, you know, and I, and I've come to grips with myself. I, I think what I really wanted was Batman 89 part three. Right. And Batman, so, and that's not what it was. Maverick. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I was a bit disappointed, but I did enjoy it and I thought it finished strong. So. And guys, just, you know, full disclosure, we have another podcast that's called the Podcast Full of Kryptonite, where we co-host with our friend from the 30-something movie podcast, John Reed. John Reed feels the same way that Jason does. I am the, in the minority on this situation. Please come and back me up and say The Flash is a good movie. Okay, guys, this episode is brought to you by our new executive producer, Mr. Tim Epp. Tim signed up on our Patreon page. Thank you, Tim. We truly appreciate you. Uh, as with all of our Patreon members, we usually ask, "Hey, what do you, you know, what do you want us to talk about?" And he suggested Rush. He thinks that Rush is the band to uh, to compare to somebody else. He suggested maybe some other Canadian bands like Loverboy or Brian Adams. I'm all good with that. I mean, Rush is heavy in Ready Player One, and that's good good enough for me. Hey, listen, he is our third Canadian patron. Hey, what what's no Canucks, going on? Man. I, I mean, what is going on in Canada, man? We're, we've established a little bit of popularity up there. Let's go America. And Hey guys, we're bringing you today, the great outdoors with Mr. Dan Aykroyd and Mr. John Candy, two, <laughs> That's two monumental gifts from Canada to the U S no doubt. No doubt. That's awesome. All right. So I want to shout out our buddy, Chris Weber, Chris, much further South. Yes. <laughs> yes. Chris sent us a record of the smithereens. Oh yeah. Chris has sent us uh, some great records that we really need to do some sort of track by track of what he sent us. Chris is a great friend of ours and just a really great supporter of the show. Chris, we truly appreciate you, man. Okay, D, I've got a special shout out for you. You ready for this one? Yeah. This is a shout out from a guy who follows us on Twitter. His name is Lee Matthews. Okay. Okay. Now get this. This tweet happened on June 20th at 9, 11 a.m. Okay. Okay. This is what he said. I'm listening to you guys right now, driving over here in the UK. Love your guys' work. Thank you very much. Oh, how about a versus of Eastwood? Every which way but loose versus any which way you can. Just a thought. But that was the day that we released it, right? So I hit him right back. I'm like, you mean like this? Bam. So he suggested a matchup that we had literally released. We dropped it that morning. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. How about that? <laughs> that's fantastic. I <laughs> know. Well, there you go. Your wish is our command. <laughs> we are here to serve. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate you, buddy. And then finally, I want to give a quick shout out to our good friend, Jeff Johnson. He sent me a couple of DVDs that just really made my day. So he sent me the director's copy of The Outsiders, which we talked about. Yeah. And then uh, he also sent me a DVD of Wisdom, early Emilio Estevez, Demi Moore movie that he and I had been talking about. We may cover in 1986. So Jeff, thank you very much. We appreciate you, buddy. And now back to John Hughes. Okay, so John Hughes, he actually moved around a bunch. He wasn't only raised in Chicago. I think he said in seventh grade he had gotten his life finally figured out, was popular with people, and then they moved to Chicago. <laughs> and I think he was a nerd for pretty much all of his high school career, but he did, in 1970, end up marrying one of the cheerleaders, and they stayed married until his death in 2009. So he gets married to her in 1970. The cheerleader? Yes. And... Then he promptly drops out of the University of Arizona. Okay. He starts writing jokes for Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers, just sending them. Just 20-year-old guy just <laughs> sending jokes to these two comedians. 
And then he gets a job as a copywriter at an advertising agency, works at Needham, Harper, and Steers, went to another advertising company called Leo Burnett Worldwide in 74, and he's the guy, I sent you this ad earlier, he's the guy that comes up with the Edge credit card shaving test. If you guys can remember it, (laughs) like they shave the guy's face with, you know, Edge gel on one side and regular shaving cream on the other side, and they rub a credit card on his face, and it's scratchy on the shaving cream side and smooth on the Edge gel side. That is Mr. John Hughes' first worldwide success is a shaving gel commercial. With an ordinary credit card, we're going to prove that Edge lets you shave closer than the leading foam. First, listen to an unshaven face. Now we'll shave the left side with foam, the right with Edge. Edge lubricates as it lathers so we can press harder to shave closer than foam. Now listen to the foam side. Then listen to the edge side. Foam. Edge. Edge lets you shave closer than the leading foam. So he is working for this advertising company, and one of their clients is Virginia Slims. So he ends up going over to the Philip Morris headquarters, which happens to be in the same building as a little-known magazine called National Lampoon. Oh, this is good. Okay. so No the, idea about this. Yeah, so he realizes, hey, I don't have to sell my jokes for a dollar apiece to these comedians. <laughs> I can sell funny stories to this magazine. And P.J. O'Rourke, who is kind of the main guy over at National Lampoon at the time, said he would write things so fast that we almost couldn't keep up with him. So some of his submissions were things called April Fool's Day and my penis, and my vagina. Okay. All in these kind of kid perspective storylines, right? Sure. And one of them was called Vacation 58 from the point of view of a little kid who goes on a vacation road trip with his family. That is what leads us into this movie, the National Lampoon Vacation movie. And from that story, Vacation 58, we also get parts of Christmas Vacation. Yep. That we've already talked about. Yes. Yeah, there are all kinds of things that spill over into the other vacation movies. I mentioned earlier, we've covered a few John Hughes. We covered Christmas Vacation, and we covered Home Alone. Again, different directors on those. But in re-watching Vacation, it's so much. Like, you can tell that Christmas Vacation is like, let's pick up some of these best parts. you got the SWAT team at the end. You've got the loss of control by Clark when everything has finally hit its peak, and he loses it and cusses everybody out and... When he kidnaps his boss at the end of Christmas Vacation, yeah, they actually do a great job. It's funny, and it's lighthearted, and the whole family's there, and it's a, a Christmas thing. That was the deleted ending for the original Vacation movie. Right. Like, they took it to theaters. They filmed that where he kidnapped his boss, and Harold Ramis said there was not a laugh for the last 20 minutes of the movie. Right. So, the... the- who they kidnap instead of his boss is Roy, Roy Wally. Yeah, Roy Wally. Exactly. Yeah, he's in some mansion, and they go in and kidnap him and force him, force them to do dances, like him and the other rich guys to do dances. And then later, he takes over a plane, which shows up in European, European vacation. vacation. Yeah, and yeah, last bit they're like, nope, this isn't working. So they literally come back six months later to shoot the ending that we all know, where they end up at Wally World and they bring in John Candy. And that's how you get one of our major connections between these two movies. Well, and also, if you'll notice, Anthony Michael Hall is about six inches taller at Wally World than he is the entire rest of the movie. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So this was not his first script to be made. There was another one. Okay. It was called National Lampoon Class Reunion. 
Yeah. And it was a dismal failure. Yeah. National Lampoon had come out with Animal House and then had come out with National Lampoon Glass Reunion, fail. National Lampoon Goes to the Movies, fail. So they weren't doing too well at this point. Uh-huh. Now, the editor for National Lampoon, I talked about him on our Christmas Vacation episode, is a guy named Matty Simmons. Now, if you don't remember, Matty Simmons is one of the guys who was a creator of the first credit card, in addition to being a huge movie producer and a... Uh, what yeah, are you he was, talking about? Yeah, Diner's Club card first started with Matty Simmons because he did food reviews. I, that's what happened. Go, okay. Go check out if you want the, if you want the full story, go check out our Christmas vacation God, episode. I forgot about that. Okay. Keep so going. he's got this story, Vacation 58, that John Hughes has written, mm-hmm. and he brings it to his buddy Jeffrey Katzenberg. Right. And Jeffrey Katzenberg's like, nah, won't work. It's too episodic. Yeah. I mean Jeffrey Katzenberg is has had a lot of very good decisions yes. in his life. Yeah. This was not one of them. That's right. It's like it won't work. <laughs> Yeah. They're going here, they're going there, they're going here, they're going there. There's not a movie there. Yeah. Maddie Sims is like, yeah, because it's a vacation. That's uh, the way that... It's like a road trip. It's a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> they're going places. It is episodic. <laughs> Turns out that's the way life is. You go from one chapter to the next. Have you ever been on a road trip before? <laughs> so that doesn't work. And so he ends up uh, with his agent going over to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers, all of them are like, nah, nah, not really interested in that story either, except for one guy guy named Mark Canton. Mark Canton is a relatively new executive at Warner Brothers, and he's like, I love it. I want to do it. Let's figure out how to do it. And they make it happen. Now, Mark Canton, this is his first big movie. He goes on to do Purple Rain, Batman 89, the Lethal Weapon series. Not a bad record and a good start off with this movie. Wow. You're telling me that the same guy who did Lethal Weapon and Vacation did Purple Rain? Yep, he was the producer. He was the guy, but he was the guy behind the money and the big studio that said, "Let's make these things happen." That's fantastic. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing. At this point, so Maddie Simmons says that he bought this at a embarrassingly low price, like insultingly low to John Hughes. Yeah. And he said, "Now he's gone on to do better things, and of course, so he's okay. You know, so he <laughs> right. doesn't really feel that bad anymore." Right. Well, and credit to Maddie Simmons, he made it a part of the contract that John Hughes would be the guy who would write screenplay. So John Hughes writes the screenplay for National Lampoon Vacation. Again, he does it from the perspective of Rusty. Yes. Not of Clark. Right. But Harold Ramis gets involved and Chevy Chase get involved and they say, "Eh, let's make it from the dad's point of view instead of the kid's point of view. Yeah, that absolutely happened. But here's the deal. You hire Harold Ramis, who just came off the success of Caddyshack, right? Yeah. And Caddyshack, it had been about three years prior to, mm-hmm. and it didn't do great at the box office, but it had really built a strong cult following. Absolutely. And of course, Chevy Chase is like the coolest guy in the world at this point. He'd been in foul play. He'd been in Caddyshack, Under the Rainbow, Saturday Night Live. Well, he was Mr. Cary Grant, U.S. stud. I will say this. He had a couple of movies right before this that were not like, Oh, Heavenly Dog. Oh, Heavenly Dog. And Modern some, Problems. Uh, it was just a couple of movies that were not that great. And so Under the Rainbow. That might have been, yeah. yeah. You know, Carrie Fisher in a bra. Hello. Yeah. All right. But anyway, you have a few you have a few entities that are on a downward trajectory instead of an upward trajectory, right? right. Chevy Chase being one, National Lampoon being the other. Obviously, with National Lampoon Vacation, you get a home run. Then that's followed up by John Hughes doing Mr. Mom, which we plan to cover very soon. Yes. And 
those two get him a three-film deal with Universal, and that's when we get 16 Candles. 16 Candles, yeah. Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller. Weird that? Science. Weird Science, yeah. yeah. Okay. I do think it's interesting, though, that the shift from Rusty's perspective. So we know we all know John Hughes is a teen guy. I mean, gosh, he was the voice of teenagers in the 1980s. Yeah, teen speak. Teen speak. There yeah. you go. But when you hire Chevy Chase, you can't just ignore that star power. Right. And so Harold Ramis, who had directed Chevy Chase and Caddyshack, they get together, they rewrite the script, and it becomes from the dad's perspective. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. I looked at Harold Ramis because I saw, you know, this is his sophomore directorial thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, Caddyshack was number one, right? Yeah. Great, great right. movie. By the way, guys, go check out our Caddyshack versus Happy Gilmore episode if you haven't seen that. That yeah, was fun. It was fun. Uh, had a great guest on that one as well. Um, number two is Vacation. Yes. Number three, Club Paradise. Gosh, I've th- I think I've seen that once. I don't. I have not seen it. I couldn't have told you who was in it had I not just looked it up. But it's like Robin Williams and a bunch of you know like Twiggy and some other random big ensemble piece, and it did really really poorly. And that was 1986. Harold Ramis did not direct another movie until 1993, when he did Groundhog Day. Then put your little hand in mine. Go back and check out our Groundhog episode. Versus Multiplicity. I had to think hard. I was like, what did we compare (laughs) Groundhog Day to? It was so lopsided, that particular matchup. Yeah. But but yeah, check out Multiplicity and Groundhog Day. So that's interesting because right after he directs Vacation, Harold Ramis stars in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Which, second biggest movie of 1984. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, huge, right? Here's something for you that I just ran a bit of trivia that happened because I happened to watch the Shawshank Redemption in the last week. Yeah. The warden from Shawshank Redemption. Yes. He's the guy who plays Harold Ramis' ghost in Ghostbusters Afterlife. I was like, those two guys don't look anything alike, but they just, they put the right prosthetics on his face. And I guess whatever features he has, they matched up very well with what Harold Ramis looked like. I thought they just took like, you know, they just created a CGI of Harold Ramis's face, but no, it was actually the warden from Shawshank Redemption plays the ghost of Harold Ramis. You are blowing my mind. There you go. Just a random thing that happened in life. Not even for this episode. You are blowing my mind, Miss Fussy Britches. (laughs) 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 they're being too obtuse (laughs) okay hey here's something interesting chevy chase when he was signed on to do vacation he went to harold ramus he's like listen i'm not a father i how do we how do we play this guy and i just i could not believe because he seems like the every dad yeah i mean I, i really think he nails this part chevy chase his two best roles in my opinion are clark griswold and Fletch. Those are the movies that he does the absolute best in. Sure. I just couldn't believe he wasn't a dad at that point. Yeah. All right, D, so I've got a question for you. Yeah. Okay. Name me a movie written by John Hughes with a great all-American dad. Yeah. A mom who has to handle that dad a little bit. Right. Right? Yeah. They take a reluctant family vacation. Okay. You have annoying relatives that show up. Yeah. And you encounter a dead person. Just like every vacation movie? Well, it's actually... National Lampoon's Vacation, and The Great Outdoors. It is. What? Yes. 
it is exactly the same. It's like a reboot of Vacation. So you're telling me that basically John Candy's character in The Great Outdoors is Clark W. Griswold. Yes, yes. And here's the thing. Okay, stay with me on this. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we we talked about how Chevy Chase and Harold Ramis changed the perspective of Vacation from a teen point of view to the dad point of view. Right. Okay? Yeah. He wasn't all that happy with that, right? Right. John Hughes is a pretty particular guy. Okay. Now, do I think that he just took that story and remade it in The Great Outdoors? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. Okay? And I've got evidence to back it up. Okay. Because he's done it before. All right, yeah. stay with me on this. Yeah. Now, I know that you haven't seen these two movies, but we're going to cover this at some point. Right. The movie Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Molly Ringwald, Andrew McCarthy, James Spader, John Cryer. Right. Right? And you have this sort of love triangle. Is that before or after Superman? That's before. Yeah, it's good. Okay. He was so dismal about Superman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Digression. Dude Go ahead. steel. <laughs> okay. They finish out Pretty in Pink. Andy, the Molly Ringo character, she ends up with John Cryer's character. Right. Well, the studio says, no freaking way. Cut that. There's no way we can do that. And then they change it, and you have the epic reunion of Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald, which test audiences hated the original ending, which was the John Hughes ending. Okay. The studio said, no, we're going to change it. John Hughes is like, heck no, we're not changing it. No, we're changing it. Yeah. Right. So they remade it where she ends up with the boyfriend. You have the swell of the music from OMD, and everybody loves Pretty in Pink. Right. Well, John Hughes was not happy, and he's very, very mad about that. He wants the cheerleader to end up with the geek. Right. Right? So basically, he turns right around and does Some Kind of Wonderful, which is a reboot of Pretty in Pink where he does what he wants, and it's the exact same thing. So if I understand your theory, yes, he was unhappy that they changed National Lampoon vacation storyline, and so, what, five years later, he does it again and gives it his own storyline. Yes. And that's why we're comparing these yes. two movies today. Yes. All right, it's I love it. It's the same movie, just revamped a little bit. I love it. I okay. love it. All right. Instead of Cousin Eddie, you get Cousin Roman. Yes, Wow. Yes. You're blowing my mind. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So this goes into our summer of 1988. The Great Outdoors came out June 17th, 1988. Just to to touch on this, guys, we're talking about 1983 and 1988. We're talking about these movies are celebrating their 40th and 35th anniversaries this year. I can't believe these movies are this old, man. I know, right? We're getting old. Yeah. This movie, The Great Outdoors, was originally titled Big Country. Right. This was the 25th biggest movie of 1988. Well, okay. That's something. 1988 was a pretty good year for movies. I mean, honestly, to be 25th is still pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see this in the theaters? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Okay. 100%. This is a two thumbs up for you? 100%. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. So once again, written by John Hughes... Directed by Howard Deutsch. Let's talk about him for just a second. Right, yes. Howie is, I think, what he goes by. But as we said, he's... If you the... call him Howie again, I'm going <laughs> to... Howie Deutsch. <laughs> That's what his wife calls him. Oh, okay. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Call him Howie. It's fine. <laughs> if he, if you're hearing this and you're upset, just give me a call. I'll be happy to apologize in person. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Deutsch directed the beautiful Leah Thompson 
in some kind of wonderful. Yeah. Right? We talked about how he steps in and he directs the movies that John Hughes doesn't, basically. So he directs some kind of wonderful. He starts dating his leading lady <laughs> and ends up marrying her and they've got kids and they, they're still married. Awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So it is great. By it's, the way, just on Leah Thompson, I'm going to be bringing up uh, Back to the Future shortly. And for those of you that don't know, Back to the Future is my favorite movie from the 1980s. So I will be bringing it up later in the podcast. I won't tell you when. It'll just be a surprise. That's fine. That's okay. fine. All right. We actually talked about Back to the Future last week when we talked about Clint Eastwood, the biggest yellow belly <laughs> in the West, right? I, I think it should be in every episode. <laughs> so anyway, Howard Deutsch comes in to direct The Great Outdoors, which is why it's a little bit campier than maybe the other more serious John Hughes stuff. You mean like Vacation? And Yeah. You think it's more campy than Vacation? Well, that was directed by Harold Ramis. So. <laughs> right. It's not Breakfast Club. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, you have talking raccoons. Okay? <laughs> Subtitled. Not I, I am not a fan of the talking raccoons. In okay. chipmunk speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, I do believe The Great Outdoors is just a revamp of Vacation. Fantastic. Okay. I can live with that. I can live with that. Cool. Just one more thing on vacation. Yes. It was released July 29th, 1983. We're coming up on the 40th anniversary. Yeah. That weekend, it opened against Private School and Kroll. Oh, Kroll. There's a throwback. Yeah. When are we going to do our Kroll versus Beastmaster episode? I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> next year. Before sure. we get into the movie, I want to talk about uh, one thing I want to bring up real quick. Yeah. The movie poster... Let's talk about both movie posters. Let's talk about both, both movie posters. Okay, let's talk about both movies posters. <laughs> How about we do that? Echo? What? what? Echo? All right, oh yes. Yeah, so let's talk about both movie let's posters. Let's talk about both movie posters. All right. So the first one, mm -hmm. National Lampoon's Vacation, one of my all-time favorite movie posters. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like dazzling, right? Right. You have Chevy Chase who's muscled up and he's ripped up and he's got the tennis racket and he looks like a gladiator champion dad. He looks like Conan the Barbarian. Does. Which was also a big movie in that time period. That's right. But I looked, there isn't a Conan the Barbarian poster that is identical to this one. But as it turns out, the guy who did the poster did a whole lot of Conan the Barbarian artwork. Yes. That guy's name is Boris Viejo. He also did posters for Barbarella. Okay. The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, wow. And cue the winged serpent. Oh. Do you remember what? that movie? We have talked about this before. Why yes. in the world have we talked about that? I don't remember I what I feel like maybe it was a about. special effects. Ah, maybe it, uh. it... It's one of those cheesy gargoyle-like movies that I still loved. Okay. And then let's flip back to Great Outdoors. Yeah, so Great Outdoors, if you are from the U.S., the, the image that you probably have in your head is Dan Aykroyd holding John Candy up by a fishing line on the poster. Yeah. Well, okay. Do you have something to say? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. So yeah. here's the deal with that. Yeah. That's based on a magazine, a, a Canadian magazine, I believe. Of course. Called The Great Outdoors. And so it's oh. the poster is made to look like the front cover of that magazine. Right. So do you know why they changed the title from Big Country to The Great Outdoors? Yes, I do. Well, then share it, please. Do you know? I do. Okay, well. <laughs> we because, both know, but we're going to blow your mind. That's right. Okay. We're here for you. Because they didn't want to get anybody confused with the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Yeah. So 
by the way, go check out that's that's an episode from this season. Big versus twins. Big twins. Yeah, yeah the big reason twins you couldn't episode. remember that is because big is so much better than twins. <laughs> that's true. That's and true. by the way, on that track, yakety yak, don't talk back. In both they movies. got the papers and the trash. It's in. It is in the great outdoors, and it is in. That's twins. right. Two, it is two movies from 1988 that throw back to the same song from the 50s. Yeah. Yakety yak! Don't talk back. Okay, I'm a quick question. Yeah. Do you ever sing with your children in the car? Yes. Will they sing oldies with you like that? Are they putting on the headphones to listen yeah. to Blitz Creek Bop? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have any kids that listen to the Ramones, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will tell you something. I do really love the scene. Of course, we talked about Ellen Grosvenor, Beverly D'Angelo, who was in Every Which Way But Loose, we covered a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, she was a singer. Yeah. And so she's like nailing it. Yeah, with, she's uh, getting the harmonies. I literally had that thought as I was watching again. I'm like, ah, I can tell that she's a singer now. And I also had the thought, I wonder if the Farrelly brothers deliberately did the throwback to... It's got to be Mockingbird. I, I would think be, so, right? right? Yeah. But it never occurred to me until I rewatched the movie. I'm like, oh, they're singing Mockingbird, the exact same thing that they do in Dumb and Dumber. Mock, yeah, ing, yeah, bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mockingbird, don't everybody have you heard? Have you heard? She's gonna buy She's gonna me buy a mockingbird. And if that mockingbird don't sing, don't sing. She's gonna buy me a diamond ring. And if that diamond ring yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Okay, so are we ready to talk casting? Let's talk casting. All right, let's go. Let's flip back to vacation. Okay, so we talked about how out of the gate, they hired Chevy Chase. I gotta be crazy. I'm on a pilgrimage to see a moose. Praise Marty Moose! Which was the coolest, funniest guy in America at that moment. Now, he had taken a couple of steps back, but he was still going strong from Saturday Night Live and Foul Play. And once you got him on board, now you've got a movie. But here's the guys that they were looking at. Now, let's step into the alternate universe where you can imagine somebody else playing Clark W. Griswold, okay? Yes. Bill Murray? Well, of course. Bill Murray and Chevy Chase were pretty interchangeable in the 1980s. Well, yes, they were the, the rivals. Okay, now then, here you go. Robert Klein as Clark Griswold. Robert Klein, not Kevin Klein. Robert, <laughs> Robert Klein. Klein. Now, Kevin Klein, I could see, actually. Yeah, Robert Klein, uh, no. no. Richard Belser. Yeah, both of those guys were like comedians that I never thought were no, funny. No, no chance. And they're they're not suburban dads. So, lucky for them, they got Chevy Chase right out of the gate. Okay? Now then, they had to find the right woman that matches up with Chevy Chase, right? Somebody has to take care of this madman. So, here's who they wanted. Kim Cattrall. Okay, this is pre-mannequin but post-porkies, right? Yep. So, she, she'd been hot. I mean, that... Oh, she's beautiful, right? Been a great shower scene or jumping in the pool scene. No doubt. Yeah. She's pretty enough to drive the Ferrari. I mean, Kim Cattrall yeah. in 1983 was yeah, for sure. smoking. But for whatever reason, she didn't quite work out. They also considered Maureen McCormick. Does that ring a bell? It does ring a bell, but I don't remember Maureen who that is. Maureen McCormick. Yeah. Here's the story. 
have a lovely lady. She's the Brady Bunch kid? She's Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She, she ended up Marcia. being really hot. I forgot about that. Huh? Could you see her as Ellen Gersold? Maybe, yeah. To me, that was mind-blowing. Marsha Brady as the mom? Yeah, okay. You know? I like it. Okay. They wanted somebody sweet but sexy, right? Nailed that. Had to be matronly, sort of motherly, but also had to be, you know, hot, yeah. right? They wanted somebody hot and kind of spicy. Yeah. So they bring in Beverly D'Angelo. She was... 30 at the time. Okay. okay. And she didn't want anything to do with it. She's like, I don't want to play the mom. I want to play, I want to play the hot woman, you know? Uh-huh. But when she shows up, she said she and Chevy just kind of fell into this relationship. Uh-huh. Okay, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Where's Edna? She's in the car. Good. Come on, kids. Get your butts in the car. Go. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? Yeah. Great. Now, I don't think anything bubbled up out of that, but they... They just kind of fell into it as husband and wife. And so because of that chemistry, that's why she was hired on. Awesome. I thought that was cool. Now then, Anthony Michael Hall plays Rusty. This is where we find Anthony Michael Hall. This is his break-in. This is his first one. Yeah. This is Anthony Michael Hall, icon of the 80s, his first movie. Dad, this is not the car you ordered. Take it easy, Rusty. Ed, uh, this is not the car I ordered. Do you remember what movie he auditioned for right before this? No. The Outsiders. Oh, okay. Yeah. He auditioned for Johnny, I believe. Yeah. And this is where he gets introduced to Don Hughes. He goes on to for- 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science. He was supposed to be Ferris Bueller. He turned down Ferris Bueller and he turned down another movie that Hughes was doing and that kind of, up, you know, it was upsetting and they kind of lost touch after that. Which is tragic. Yeah. They talk about Molly Ringwald being John Hughes' muse. I think that Anthony Michael Hall was also No doubt. If you want to hear the story on that, at a film buy, I did a podcast with Jeff Johnson on Out of Bounds. Oh, yeah. Which was like an action movie starring Anthony Michael Hall in 1986. Right. That was the movie he chose to do instead of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Gosh. There are bad choices. Bad choices. And then there are bad choices. Yeah. So here's the deal. You know, they went all over the country looking for Rusty. And they just couldn't find anybody that they liked. Harold Ramis said they were, like, depressed. They're like, we can't find Rusty. And everybody was so over the top, like, too much. Every kid was, like, on. And they went in, and Anthony Michael Hall played it kind of minimalist. Shy. And he had braces. Oh, yeah. Don't take off your braces. Yes. When they hired him, they're like, great, you got the job, kid. Don't don't take off your braces. <laughs> Which is great. Can right? you imagine, though, as a kid, if you had braces as a kid, as soon as you got them on, you were waiting for the day right. to take them off. Right. And now you get cast in your first major movie and they say, don't take your braces right. off. So next was Audrey. Yeah. The daughter. Yeah. Okay. They brought in Dana Barron. They just want to see the chemistry with Anthony Michael Hall. She said she had older siblings. So she understood the stop touching me and making peanut butter faces. Rusty's licking his hand and touching me. (laughs) Exactly. She and Anthony Michael Hall just fell in right away like siblings. Yeah. She was hired right away. Yeah. And you told me that Anthony Michael Hall kind of had a crush on her. Anthony Michael Hall did have a crush on Dana Barron. He said she was a little hottie. Yeah. And I heard that they were, um, we talked about, you know, Beverly D'Angelo being the little sexy mom and they're all getting ready to film the shower scene. Right. Yes. And she comes in and, you know, she's got her robe on and they're all getting ready. And all of a sudden Marty Simmons, who is there is like, Hey, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall had snuck in to try to sneak peek of Beverly D'Angelo doing the shower scene. Can you blame the kid? I cannot. Are you going to bring up the story? 
So 19- we're finally here. You yeah, gotta- it was 1983. I was seven years old. I've told this story a million times, but I'll tell it again. It was 1983. <laughs> I was seven years old, and my cousins and my brother and I bought tickets to see the movie Snow White, and we walked into the theater and theater hopped from National Lampoon Vacation <laughs> to Risky Business to Trading Places. And so in one day, I saw Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs, <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca Mornay's boobs, And the first one, the one that changed my life, the one that I went, oh my gosh, I didn't know they could do this in movies, was Beverly D'Angelo. That's wonderful. And in rewatching it, I was like, that scene was over in a blink, but it is etched into my memory as though it lasted four hours. So here's the funny thing about that. It was a closed set. Of course, that's why they were trying to keep all the uh, non-essential people out. The under 14-year-olds. Exactly. Right? (laughs) They're like, okay, Beverly, whenever you're ready. And uh, Maddie Simmons says that she took off her robe and, like, walked across the room and was doing stuff. And he's like, Beverly, you don't have to take your robe off until you're, like, ready to get in the water. I mean, you know. Uh She's like, please, I did 400 shows of hair Ah. where I was naked every night. She's like, this is nothing to me. Nice. Bravo. (laughs) Bravo. Yeah. Okay. Lastly, just a couple more people I want to bring up real quick. Uh-huh. Imogene Coca plays Aunt Edna. Glad you brought her up. You enjoy throwing up every five minutes, Claude? Clark. I thought so. Whew. Well, am I going to eat or am I going to starve to death? This she, movie is not this movie without Aunt Edna in it. She is a gem. She's awesome. Yeah. She was a comedian from the... 60s? Yeah. She was on the Sid Caesar show and stuff like that? She was in a, yep. Sid Caesar show won many awards for her work in comedy TV shows. This was kind of a, she hadn't done something for a while and they brought her in on this. But before this, in the 70s, she was involved in a car wreck. She was afraid to travel. Yeah, she was afraid to travel. And of course, well, in in the real car wreck that she had in the 70s, she's in the passenger seat, her husband's driving, they run into this 19-year-old girl. Her husband and the girl aren't seriously injured, but the rear view mirror comes out and goes into her eye and they have to do reconstructive surgery. She Whoa. has a glass eye. She was blind out of that eye for the rest of her life. And of course, in this movie, they have the gigantic car, I mean, they have several car incidents, but they have the gigantic car wreck where she's in it. And you'll remember her hat is pulled down over her face at the end of it. She was terrified to do this scene because of that accident she had had less than 10 years earlier. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, the funny part is they were like, they're not actually going to go on the road because they'll just do it on the studio. That's how they do road movies. No. Nope. No. They went on the road. Yeah. She was awesome. Jeez, that must have been like 60 yards. <laughs> 60, 60 yards. yards. I bet when when she when her husband crashed that car, I wonder if she said, "He he shouldn't even have a license." <laughs> Here's something that I thought was interesting that I hope to blow your mind with. Okay, she was in an episode of Moonlighting. Really? Yes. Now, I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, "Of course, right?" She played Agnes's mother. N- oh yeah. Right. Of course, I mean, yeah, they, that's they, it. They could be mother. I had to look yes. at them like, are they really mother and daughter? Because they look so much alike. But you will remember the episode. Agnes's mother is coming across the border and like some drug dealers plant drugs so that it comes across the border with her and she gets in trouble. And it's one of those ones that Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard were both gone. And so it's Agnes and the guy, Booger, whatever his name is. Curtis Armstrong. Yes. They have to they have to solve the mystery in this particular episode. She got nominated for an Emmy for that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know we're veering off the track here just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But did you know that Harold Ramis thought she had a stroke while filming this movie? 
No. Did you not? You haven't heard this story? No, no. Okay. So listen to this. So they're filming one morning and she's in the back seat and it's some scene with, with Imogen Coca, right? Uh-huh. So they've been working on this scene all morning. Right. They go to break for lunch. And when they come back, Harold Ramis is like, all right, Imogene, whenever you're ready. And she's like, okay, what are we, what are we doing? He's like, well, we're going to, we're going to keep doing that scene we were working on right before lunch. She's like, uh, what, what was that again? He's like, well, the scene, the one that, you know, we've been working on all morning. And she's like, well, which one? And he kind of describes it to her. She had no memory of it, like gone, like whoosh, gone. She didn't know her lines. She didn't recall that morning, nothing. Uh-huh. So they called the paramedics. They're like, this woman had a stroke. They thought we we're going to have to shut down production. They were very, very worried about her. And so she gets checked out. Paramedic says, well, she's okay. She and her husband spent all that next night relearning her lines. Wow. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah. She was really frail during the filming of this. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I read something. I cannot remember at this point what the movie was, but basically she, it was a movie or a TV episode but they had to be out in like the 15 degree weather. She sat on a sidewalk, like she was playing a homeless person, 75 years old, sat on the sidewalk in the snow for hours and hours. And like all of the 20 somethings were like huddled by the heater and complaining right. about the cold. And she never complained once. They said she was the consummate professional, you know, just tough and could bear through anything. Well, that's interesting. So the woman who played cousin Catherine. Yeah. Her um, name is Miriam Flynn. Flynn. She was in the house, the, you know, cousin Eddie's house. And Imogene's like, I just don't know if I can do this. I'm just not very strong and I'm just not feeling it. And she was kind of whining. And Miriam was like, man, I don't know if she can do this. And then they're like, okay, Imogene, whenever you're ready. And she's cracked that door open. And was like popping out with her little walker. Am I going to eat or am I going to starve to death? <laughs> and she said, she just nailed it. So, yeah. She was just kind of a little bit frail, but she nailed it anyway. Do you think it's funny that both of us just got fascinated with Imogene Coco? <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. Other folks that you got from vacation that you want to talk about? Yeah. So Randy Quaid plays Cousin Eddie. His defining role. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper. It does just fine by itself, huh? Uh, I like it better than tuna helper myself. Don't you, Clark? You're the gourmet around here, Ed. He nails it, right? Right. They could not have done better with either of these. If you said Randy Quaid and somebody was like, I don't know, and you're like, Cousin Eddie, like, oh, right. That, right. That's it's defining role. They wanted Robin Williams to play Cousin Eddie. That would have been too much. I, yeah, too much. Yeah. Randy Quaid is just enough. Yeah, Robin Williams, too much. Yeah. And they have the kids there at the shack that, that they live in. Yes. You know, and you've got the boy. Cousin Dale? Doesn't have the video games. Doesn't have asteroids. Doesn't have a space invader. Well, Dad had asteroids. Some days can't even sit in the toilets. <laughs> hey, you got Pac-Man? No. Uh, you got space invaders? Nope. You got asteroids? No, but my dad does. Can't even sit on the toilet some days. And then there's the sister. Cousin Vicky. Cousin Vicky is Jane... Krakowski? Exactly. I'm going steady. And I French kiss. So everybody does that. Yeah, but Daddy says I'm the best at it. So in the 90s, when I started watching Ally McBeal, I'm like, oh, that's the cousin from Vacation. And now she, I mean, she was a huge Broadway star. She's been in a ton of stuff. 30 Rock. Yeah, she's all over the place. Yeah. This is where she got her start. Yeah. And of course, you have John Candy as Russ Lasky, the security guard at Wally World. Yes. They brought him in the last second. Yep. And I would make an argument that he may be John Hughes's most valuable player ever. Ever. 
right? I mean, he's up there with with Molly Ringwald and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Great Outdoors. He plays Gus in Home Alone. That's right. Whenever you need something to perk up the funny, you bring in John Candy. Yeah. Okay. One more person. Two more people I want to talk about. Okay. Christy Brinkley may have been the most beautiful woman on the planet in 1982 yep. when they filmed this. She was not an actor. And not a dancer. We know she's not a dancer. <laughs> Flashback to our Billy Joel episode. So were they married? When did they get married? When did Billy Joel and Christy Brinkley get married? Gosh, well, that dropped in 83, so right around this time. Yeah. I mean, okay. If you want to hear the story about how Billy Joel almost had Elle McPherson and Christy Brinkley in bed in the same day. And what you think. <laughs> Go listen to our Billy Joel Innocent Man episode. Not so innocent. That's right. Okay. We can talk about how great Dinky the dog was. Dinkums. Okay. On that subject. Yes. The cop. James Keach, yeah. James Keach, brother of Stacy Keach. Yes. Do you know what the penalty is for animal cruelty in this town? I'm sure it's pretty stiff. <laughs> it's probably pretty stiff. <laughs> he, I had no idea. Not only is he the brother of Stacy Keach, he married and is still married to Jane Seymour. What? Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. What? Are you, you solitaire? <laughs> yes. What are you talking about? Yeah. That yeah. is unbelievable. Well. Yeah. Bravo, guy. Bravo. Man. I watched the uh, behind the scenes on this movie. Uh-huh. Chevy Chase said he delivered the line better than any line he's ever heard in any of his movies. James Keach. Do you know what the line is? Explain this, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. If you watch that scene, so we're talking about the scene where he gets pulled over in Colorado and the cop is super mad at him. Get out of the car, sir. And he's like, what? What? What Was it weaving or something? He's like, no, explain this, right? And then he picks up the dog leash and you realize, oh my gosh, he just killed Dickie, right? Right. That scene, if you go back and watch it, James Keach and Chevy Chase were laughing so hard that they were actually crying. Those are tears of joy. And they had to keep redoing it and redoing it and redoing it because the, the other one would crack up. The, I, you you will watch Chevy Chase. You think he's just trying to like, <laughs> you think he's happy because the horrible, horrible dog has been murdered. As it turns out, he's just cracking up at the, at the delivery of these lines. That's fantastic. He said uh, for like 10 minutes, all they did, that one would go, the other one would go, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. That's okay. fantastic. And then one more character I have to bring up. Yeah. That's truly a character in this movie. 100%. I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going. Go ahead and go. It's the family truckster. I'm glad you went there. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Do you do you, do you have more on the family truckster? Well, other than it being Metallic P instead of Antarctic Blue. Let me talk to you about... Tell me. Okay. I've got a story on the... Family truckster. Yeah. That I will save until our next episode. But I'm telling you fans, you want to come back for this one. All right. Come back for the family truckster (laughs) story. But. You think you hate it now. Wait till you drive it. (laughs) (laughs) But before we end today's episode, we need to talk about casting for the great outdoors. Yes. As I mentioned, we have two of Canada's best gifts to us. No, not Michael J. Fox, but Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. Then we have the wives which I think are critical to this movie. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So the first one that you have is one that everybody knows. It's Annette Bening. What you may not know is this is her very first movie. 
Yes. Um, Annette Benning married to Warren Beatty. Annette Benning, the major American movie star. president. Yeah. I mean, all of that. My mind was blown. I was like, this movie was her first movie? Yes. And she does a fantastic job. Okay. <sighs> Are you really? <laughs> what? No, no, no. She does a fantastic job. Okay. She's not very likable in this movie. Because she's not supposed to be likable. Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay. So let's talk about it. So Roman Craig is played by Dan Aykroyd. He is the supposed investment broker, the rich, jerk, uninvited brother-in-law, John Candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the third movie that Dan Aykroyd has done with John Candy. Can you name the other two? Uh, you've got Blues Brothers. Yes. Which is great because they have a song, an Elwood Blues song that comes up in this movie. Yes. And then after, is it after Blues Brothers? It's before. Before Blues Brothers. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Not 1941. 1941. 1941. Wow. Okay. Not a big part by either of them, but they shared the screen. And if you'll remember, John Candy was supposed to be in Ghostbusters. He was supposed to play the part of Lewis. Oh, right. But he didn't really, he didn't understand it. He said, have, call my buddy Rick. Yes. That took fantastic. over by Rick Moranis. So yeah, could have been a fourth right. movie. Wow. Okay. And they would go on to do your favorite movie, uh, Nothing But Trouble. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd is the old codger judge. It may be the worst movie of the 90s. <laughs> I We have to, have to go back and check that out. Yeah. Okay. So, do you know who they wanted to play Roman? Tell me. Chevy Chase. Well, sure. You know? Yeah. Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Oh, both or, for Roman? For Roman. Oh, okay. I see. I was, they wanted can, John Candy as the family guy. They, they were set on Candy already, yeah. but the Roman was a question mark. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I think Dan Aykroyd is the right fit. I just, I do. Dan Aykroyd has a style and a character that he really does well. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right? Bill Murray, he's too likable. Even when he tries to play a turd, like in Scrooged, he comes off as sympathetic and likable. Yeah. I suppose so. Okay. John Candy, as we talked about, he is John Hughes' MVP. When you know, when I we need funny, right? He's his go-to guy. By the way, I we didn't talk about this, but let's touch on this real quick. John Hughes didn't direct the great outdoors, even though he was like, I'm I'm going to redo vacation and do it the way that I wanted to. He didn't direct the great outdoors. Do you know why? No. Because there was another movie with John Candy going on at the same time called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that he said, oh. I really want to work with Steve Martin. And so he directed John Candy in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles while The Great Outdoors was being filmed by Howard Deutsch, right? Now, there's another movie that John Hughes was doing at that same time as well called She's Having a Baby. Yes. You'll remember at the beginning of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, there's this cool cameo by Kevin Bacon because both of these movies are happening at the same time. Yeah. Well, She's Having a Baby the end of the movie, the kind of what happens is they're trying to think of a name for the baby. And then the rolling credits, they have all of these cameo appearances by these various stars. One of them is Bill Murray, who is obviously shooting Scrooge at this time. Yes. And then you also have Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, who are obviously filming The Great Outdoors. You can see the wood paneling behind them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. By the way, you know why Chevy Chase did not take The Great Outdoors? Tell me. He was shooting Funny Farm, which is about a city guy who goes to the great outdoors yeah. and comes into all these misadventures. Man, that, that was a bad movie. I do not like Funny Farm. Are you crazy? I'm not, I am not crazy. But again, 
I didn't see it until I was an adult. We talked about this with twins. If you don't see the 80s movies either when you were a kid or when you were a kid in the 80s. Sure. It, it makes a difference. No doubt about it. a huge difference. By the way, Funny Farm, better than Great Outdoors. Shut your mouth. No, I'm serious. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You're tipping your hand a little bit. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Lucy Deacons for just a second. Okay. Lucy Deacons. I married a girl who looks like Lucy Deacons. Okay. Yeah. Agree? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, she got it a lot, especially as a yeah. kid. But yeah, she got it a lot. Curlier brown hair Cammie back then. and Casey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, she was also in The Boy Who Could Fly. Okay. That was, she was, that was kind of, those. these were her two big movies of the day. Huh? But she did not stay in acting. Right. She decided to go ahead and go to law school. She graduated a few years after I did and is now a partner at, the, at a firm that has her name in it. Something know, Deacons right? and something. Yes. You can literally look it up and see her as one of the of counsel attorneys for this law firm. It's nuts. It's in Denver? It's in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Same place where Dinky was killed on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she went back to help pick up the carcass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then for the brother, you have Mr. Christopher Young. Yeah. Now, Christopher Young... His first role is also in the early 80s in a TV series we all know called Max Hedrum. Okay. Do you know what his character's name is? Chris. No. Max. Bryce Lynch. Stop it. That is why in the book Ready Player One, when he decides to sneak into the IOI credit bureau and pretend he's somebody else, his pseudonym is Bryce Lynch. My mind is not only blown, <laughs> but destroyed. That was amazing. For for being a big Raider Player One fan, then that's a that's a big bomb. You're welcome. Good job. Thank you. So um, also since then he has done some directing and producing. He has produced no less than twelve Kelly Clarkson videos. <laughs> okay. Hey, <laughs> everybody's gotta have something that you're good at. Might as well be Kelly Clarkson. That's videos. fantastic because right next to his <laughs> name in my notes, I say he has done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we talked about Annette Benning. By the way, I I said this was her film debut. She was acting. She had gotten a Tony in 1987, right before this. She'd been on Broadway. She played Lady Macbeth with a lot of acclaim uh, at the American Conservatory Theater. But we haven't talked about the other very important wife. Her name is Stephanie Pharisee. Stephanie Pharisee. Her debut was on a show called Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Which we talked about in our best TV themes of the 70s. And connection to Annette Bening, she was also in Heaven Can Wait. Is that right? Yeah. How about that? Starred with Warren Beatty, starred with Annette Bening. Maybe she introduced him. Who knows? That's true. She, I love her in this movie. She may be the best, most likable character in this entire movie. Yeah, I mean, she keeps it all together. She does. She, she is the Ellen of the great outdoors. And literally, she's the one with the least amount of star power. She's my favorite character. Yeah. She was in Frasier. Oh, okay. She uh, is one of the girls that was always hitting on Niles. She was so. also in Blind Date, another one of your favorites. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. You know who else was in Frasier? Mr. Robert Prosky, the guy who plays Wally, the owner of the resort. Right? <laughs> the guy who plugs the shotgun in? <laughs> the guy who tells him that they're kissing a dead person. <laughs> so, he was in Frasier. He was in Mrs. Doubtfire. 
He played Rebecca's dad on Cheers. He's okay. been in. He's been in some stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then of course Hillary Gordon and Rebecca Gordon are the twins, Roman and Kate's twin daughters. Uh-huh. They're totally weird. This entire movie. They played Harrison Ford's twins in the movie The Mosquito Coast. That's all I got on casting for The Great Outdoors. Okay, guys, that does it for episode one. Come back for episode two, where I will share my story about the Wagon Queen family truckster, and we will talk about music, we will talk about reception, and we will talk about our final judgment on which of these two movies is the best. Yes. Too much play.